We're going to do something a little bit different today. We're going to um, wait and have our prayer time after the message. We normally spend some time right now in prayer, and, and we think that's very important, and we're going to continue to do that. But today we want to spend some time in the message first, and then we're going to pray. So if, you, if you've come with a need, we want to pray with you after the service, after the message. But um, we want to spend some time here getting into the Word, and then we'll have some prayer time. Larry, if you'd throw my slides up, please. Um, today is Pentecost Sunday. Pentecost Sunday. Let me ask you a question before we get started. How many here grew up in the Assemblies of God Church or in another Pentecostal church? How many here did that? All right. That means that most of us didn't. <laughs> most of us grew up in a church that, or not even in a church possibly, that maybe never really emphasized, emphasized Pentecost. But it's, Pentecost is a major holiday. It's a major holiday in the life of the church. And so I want to talk today about what is Pentecost? What, did it really, what does it really mean? And how did Pentecost change things? Because it changed the world. Pentecost changed the world. So we're going to talk about that today. So being today is Pentecost Sunday. Many people don't recognize this as a significant holiday. They just don't. I mean, it's, it's, it's just one of those ones that have been turned into something that maybe some people we celebrate, maybe it's on a calendar. But, you know, it's really unfortunate that over the years, Satan has robbed the church of the knowledge and the power that this day brought. Pentecost Sunday has been reduced to a minor Christian holiday at best, because the enemy has been very successful in turning this life-changing power that the Holy Spirit brings to the point of controversy between churches. It becomes a point of contention between churches, and it breaks up Christian unity between churches. So rather than celebrate the Holy Spirit coming into the world as God's powerful change agent, the Holy Spirit has been reduced to a point of debate that separates churches and disrupts unity. So today I want to talk about what happened on that common Jewish festival that changed forever the way God would interact with men. How did Pentecost change everything? How did it? Do you know? Do you want to know? You're going to know whether you want to or not. That's what we're talking about today. And I, and I pray, I pray that this message creates some hunger, that it creates some thirst for that power of Pentecost today. See, the term Pentecost comes from the Greek word meaning 50th. It's one of three spring Jewish festivals. There are seven Jewish, Jewish festivals, three in the spring and four in the fall. And this Pentecost festival is celebrated on the 50th day after Passover. It's also known as the Feast of Weeks and the Feast of 50 Days. It was a Jewish feast of Pentecost or Shabbat that primarily was a thanksgiving for the first fruits of the wheat harvest. It was a time that was 
also celebrated Moses receiving the Ten Commandments and giving of the Jewish law back in Old Testament days. All Jewish men were required to travel to Jerusalem to worship and sacrifice. There were three times that the Jewish men were required to travel to Jerusalem. This is one of those times that was required of all the Jewish men to pilgrimage, to travel to Jerusalem. So from a Jewish festival perspective, this is something that is celebrated every year. It was a common Jewish festival. So from man's perspective, this was a normal holiday. Nothing special about it. It's something they celebrated every year. Like we have Christian holidays, like Christmas and Easter, that we celebrate every year. And so often, many of them just are reduced to family gatherings and reasons to have parties and to get together and exchange gifts or maybe have a turkey dinner or ham dinner or something of that nature. But from God's perspective, this was a special day. From God's perspective, this was more than a simple harvest celebration for the Jewish people to, that the generations have, served, have, have, have worshipped or have celebrated year after year. This was a day of anticipation from God Anticipation of a greater harvest that was coming in the form of human souls. This was a day of salvation, a day of power that would change the world from God's perspective. What we're going to find today is that Pentecost is really the birthday of the church that Jesus talked about. Remember, he talked in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. We talked about this before. Matthew says that Jesus says to the, to Peter and the disciples that Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That was the statement that Jesus made that it was the church was his idea. But it didn't begin this day. It didn't begin with this statement. This was a statement that Jesus said he was going to build it, and the rock that is built upon is not Peter. What we're going to find out today is that the rock is, is a combination of the Trinity, it's really the combination of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And we're going to find that out, how important the Holy Spirit was to the beginning of the church. The, signif the significance, significance of Pentecost for us today is that we are part of the church. We are a product. We are a result of Pentecost. We're part of that soul harvest that God was anticipating on this Pentecost Sunday that he poured out. I want to read the account in Acts as Jesus is setting up what is going to happen this day. Acts chapter 1. You can turn to it in your Bible or you can read with me here. Acts chapter 1, the first five verses. In my, former in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering or basically after his death, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. This is after Jesus died on the cross and resurrected. This is what they're talking about here. Jesus, he appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem. But wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. 
This is referring to the day of Pentecost. Jesus called this a gift. A gift. Now, what does a gift represent? A gift is something undeserved and unearned, right? You don't deserve your Christmas gifts. Many times they're given in spite of the way you've behaved. <laughs> you don't deserve them. But And gifts are a surprise. We, we don't know what they are. It's wrapped up in a box. So we don't get to know what it is unless you've shaken it a few times. Maybe guessed. And maybe you don't even know when the gift is going to be given. And since you don't know what it is, and since you have no idea what it is, you have no idea what your reaction is going to be when you receive it. It may be received with great emotion, or it might receive just, well, thank you. Gifts have an anticipation behind them, and hopefully it's a great anticipation that something good is coming. It's an expectation of something new, something you don't already have. If you get the same tie every Christmas day, or every Father's Day, then there's not much anticipation over that tie because it's the same one you've had already. So a gift is typically something new. You don't, or you don't have it. You don't already possess it. Something different. This passage we read in Acts 1 are some of Jesus' words, some of his last words that he spoke to his disciples before he was ascended. And this is why Pentecost is vitally important to the church. Because it's the introduction, it's the coming of the Holy Spirit. But what's different now? What's different about the Holy Spirit now? You see, understand that the Holy Spirit was active all throughout Bible history. All through the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was active. In fact, the first day of creation, the Spirit hovered over the earth. Hovered over what was void and and formless. And the Holy Spirit was part of creation. And the Holy Spirit was part of all Old Testament major events. The Holy Spirit in the Old Testament came upon people for specific purposes or events, but didn't reside with people at that point, didn't live with them. He would come for reasons and specific purposes. It wasn't until Jesus died and was to leave the earth did the Holy Spirit's primary become the primary role on earth? Prior to that time, it was God. And then in the, after Jesus was born, Jesus was the manifestation of God on earth. He was the physical form of God. But when Jesus dies and he goes away, then the Holy Spirit becomes the central, the central focus. Now, Jesus spoke many times and many things to his disciples while he was with them over that three-year period that they walked together. But when Jesus started to tell them that he would, he would be leaving them, they didn't understand what he was talking about. But it did create in them some angst, as we can imagine. That Jesus said he wasn't going to be here. Their, 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 their opinion was that Jesus was going to set up an earthly kingdom there. But God had a plan it's different than what their plan was, greater than the disciples could ever imagine. And here's the thing. God has a plan for my life and a plan for your life greater than what you can ever imagine with the power of the Holy Spirit involved. The Gospel of John records Jesus' words to the disciples about the future coming of Jesus. 
And there was more there to be spoken of about the Holy Spirit. John chapter 14. This is Jesus describing to the disciples what's going to happen. This is before his death. He's still alive. He's still with them. Jesus says, But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send, will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Good reason for Jesus here to encourage his disciples. And then verse 28, Jesus says, You heard me say, I am going away and I am coming back to you. If you loved me, you would be glad that I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And I've told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. So Jesus is giving his disciples some information here that he's going to have to go away, but, he's not, but they're not going to be left alone. They're, God is going to send the Holy Spirit, the advocate, the counselor, the paraclete, the guide, to be with us, to be with them. So Jesus was preparing for his preparing his disciples for the day that was coming. And even though they thought it couldn't get any better because they're walking daily with Christ, I mean, imagine it. You're walking with Jesus. You're eating with him. You're living with him. You're going through daily events with him. You're seeing Jesus perform miracle after miracle, and you're hearing this great teaching. It can't get any better for the disciples. But what happens after Jesus dies? Understand what's happening here. As soon as Jesus dies, something they didn't anticipate, they didn't expect, even though Jesus told them that that was going to happen, they didn't get it. These men were on an emotional roller coaster like we can't believe, that we can't comprehend. They gave up everything to become a disciple of Jesus. They gave up everything. Jesus called them, and they gave it up. They gave up their fishing trade. Matthew gave up a great business in tax collecting. Huge money. He was very wealthy. He gave it up. Jesus said, come follow me, and they gave up their life. They followed Jesus for three years, thinking that they were going to be with him for the rest of, of their life. They were thinking that Jesus was going to set up an earthly kingdom, and they were going to be ruling with him forever, I mean, in this life while they were alive. But then all of a sudden, in the middle of it, or toward at the beginning of it, really, Jesus was just getting out of roll here. Jesus all of a sudden willingly gives up his life and he dies a death of a common criminal. You don't think that might have confused them a little bit? You don't think they might have been a little bit upset about this? That they gave up everything and then Jesus does what? He abandons them. He leaves them. But then Jesus rises from the dead. Three days later, he's back. They're eating again. They're talking again. They're spending time together again. So maybe it's not so bad after all, they're thinking. Maybe he's, not, maybe he's going to hang around this time. Maybe he's not going to leave us this time. But he tells them, guys, I'm sorry, I have to leave again, but here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to send you a Holy Spirit. I'm going to send you something more powerful than I, because I, Jesus, while I'm alive on this earth, can be one place at one time. I'm limited in my scope of being. I'm limited in my scope. Even though he's God, he was fully human. So therefore, he was limited in his ability to be all places at all times. Whereas the Holy Spirit is not limited that way. The Holy Spirit is as much God as God is God, as much God as Jesus was God, but he is Holy Spirit. And he can be all places at all time, omniscient, omnipotent, and, all, and um, um, omnipresent at all times. 
So Jesus is trying to get them to understand that the Holy Spirit will empower them and make them more than what they are now, even while they were in the presence of Jesus. Even while they were in his presence, Jesus is saying, there's more that I have for you. There's more that my Father has for you. And there's a reoccurring theme in Pentecost that I want to make sure that we understand. The reoccurring theme of Pentecost is, Pentecost is this. It's anticipation of a new and a better life than what I had before. It could get better for the disciples. And the theme is it can be new and it can be better. Think of it. Your day of salvation, the day that you accepted Jesus in your life, that was the most important single day of your heart, of your life at that time. Nothing can, can top that. The day that you gave up your life of death to receive your life of eternal life it was the best day ever. I hope you see it that way. I hope you see it as better than getting your first new car or your first job or your day of your, of your wedding. I hope you see the day of your salvation as the beginning of a whole new life. You gave up death. And you accepted Jesus. You accepted life. How much better can it get? How much better can it get? What is it there? What is there about Pentecost that makes my life better than my day of salvation? Do you understand that it can be better? Let me make this statement, and then I'm going to prove what I mean by it. Holy Spirit baptism makes me better than what I was before I was baptized. Let me say it again. Holy Spirit baptism makes me better than what I was before I was baptized. It doesn't make me better than you. It doesn't make me better than anybody else. It's a personal thing. It doesn't make us better than the other churches that don't believe in Pentecost. I think that's the problem. I think many times the, the devil has tried to make it a comparison thing. That I have, I'm baptized in the Holy Spirit and I speak in tongues, therefore I'm better than you. No, no, no. That's not what it's about. It's about that it makes me better than what I was. And we're going to prove that fact. We're going to prove about it. We're going to prove that fact in the life of the disciples. So let's talk about the disciples again because that's the object lesson that we can learn from. What was their experience of salvation? And what was their experience of Holy Spirit baptism? Let me ask the question. When did the disciples get saved? When did they get saved? Was it on the day of Pentecost? Or were they saved before that day? This is a key point. This is a very important point that we have to understand what this means. Because while Jesus was alive, before he died, they were living under Old Testament law. When Jesus called the disciples to follow him, they were living under Old Testament law because Jesus hadn't fulfilled the Old Testament yet. He hadn't become the sacrifice of the Old Testament yet. It wasn't until Jesus went to the cross and he died and he rose again did things change for the disciples. 
And again, this is a very important point that we, if we don't understand this point, we miss the point of Pentecost because this is where the confusion comes in. The disciples experienced salvation before Jesus told them to go wait in Jerusalem for the gift of the Holy Spirit to be poured out. The Holy Spirit baptism is not salvation. You need to understand that. Holy Spirit baptism, it's not salvation. It is a second experience. How do I know that? Well, let's go back to John chapter 20. We're going to read this. Jesus has been to the cross. He's, he's risen again. And now remember, these are the disciples haven't seen Jesus since he's risen. They're scared to death. These men just lost Jesus. They're scared. They're being sought after because they're afraid that maybe they're going to die. They all abandoned Jesus at the cross. Remember, understand that. Only John stayed at the cross. Everybody else, all the other 11, including Peter, took off. And now they're scared. They're huddled in a room behind closed doors. And all of a sudden, Jesus comes in. John chapter 20, verse 19 through 22. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Jesus just appeared. The door wasn't opened. He just came in. He just appeared because of he, had, he was in his supernatural body. He just came in and appeared. After he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and, and said, receive the Holy Spirit. This was the moment of their salvation. This was when all the disciples were saved. Up until that time, they were not. They were under Jewish law. They were under Old Testament law. Now Jesus came in, breathed on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. This was the moment of their salvation. Just as you and I have our moment of our salvation. This was the first day of the rest of their life. From this point on, they were on their journey of living out their salvation just as you and I are today. The Holy Spirit was in them, but not upon them. Big difference here. The Holy Spirit was in them because Jesus breathed on them and they received the Holy Spirit. You can't be saved unless the Holy Spirit dwells in you. So upon your salvation, the Holy Spirit lives in you, but it's not the same experience as the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And this is where a lot of people get confused. A lot of churches get confused. They think that because the Holy Spirit lives in me that I've been baptized. No, not according to what Jesus says. Not according to what we see. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is a gift the Father has in store. It's a gift. And it's with this new power that they could establish the early church. It's the physical proof of the presence of the Holy Spirit. Think about this. Jesus was the physical proof that the disciples were with God the Father. Jesus was the physical proof of that they were following the right path. They were on the right journey when they were with Jesus. Now Jesus leaves, and all of a sudden they're left alone. 
So God says, no, I'm going to send my Holy Spirit now, and I'm going to give you physical proof that you're not alone, and that comes with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Because up to that point in time, it was an internal thing just in their heart, but there was no outward manifestation of the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? Are you following with me so far? John the Baptist prophesied when he baptized Jesus back when Jesus first started his ministry that Jesus would be the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. You could go back and read that. But I want to move forward in Acts chapter 2. We want to go back and talk more about this day of Pentecost. Acts chapter 2, starting at verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came up from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now let me set the stage here. This was after Jesus told the disciples, after he breathed on them, then he said, go and wait. In Jerusalem, don't leave Jerusalem until I come and baptize you with the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is that time that he's talking about. This is 10 days later. 10 days, the, Holy, the, the disciples and 120 others or so went up and waited in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit to come. The first supernatural experience in the life of the disciples was when, when, when they received the Holy Spirit in the form of salvation. And we read about that in John chapter 19, verse 22. The second ex supernatural experience was when Jesus baptizes them in the Holy Spirit that gives them the power to live their salvation. How did this happen? Well, through an act of obedience. They were obedient to follow the commands of Christ because Jesus said, I breathe, you have the gift of, of salvation now. Now go wait. Go wait, and I'm going to send the, the power of the Holy Spirit. So they were obedient to wait. Now, we don't know how many people started out. There could have been 500 people more. Who knows how many people went to that upper room. But a 10-day waiting period before the Holy Spirit came. So how, we don't know how many bailed. We don't know how many of them said, I'm not waiting any longer. I'm getting out. So we don't know. But 120 were left. What were they thinking about? Ten days is a long time, folks. Can you think about ten days ago? What were you doing ten days ago? Can you even remember? <laughs> Many of us can't remember yesterday, let <laughs> alone ten days ago. But a lot of things can happen in ten days. Can you imagine what it's like to wait for something that they've never experienced before? They had no idea what to expect. I can't imagine many of them were impatient. And couldn't wait, and they left. But what was the reason that the Holy Spirit needed to man himself and manifest himself differently now than before? Why? Why did God require this? Why did God do this? You see, everyone in the upper room that day were already saved. None of them got in, none of them were saved. In the day of Pentecost, they were already saved. I'm sure in that, in that time after the disciples got saved, they were evangelizing. They were already talking to people. There were already other believers, other disciples that were saved. Everyone in the upper room were saved. They all believed and they all accepted Jesus to be their Savior. 
And they were proving that by, obe- by being obedient to him. How do we prove our love to, for Christ? What's the Bible say? If you love me, you what? If you love me, you what? You obey me. We prove our love to, the, to Christ because we obey him. They were proving their love to Christ because they were obeying him. They were waiting patiently in the upper room. And now what happens? Acts chapter 2, verses 5 through 9. Now, after, now, they're at, now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. Remember, let me back this up. Remember, this was the feast time. All the Jewish men had to travel to, to Jerusalem from all over the country. So there were many, many countries represented, many, many speaking dialects represented here, 12 to 15 others. I'm not going to read them all because I can't say them. But there was a bunch of people there that didn't understand Galilean, didn't understand the, the language, the Aramaic language. They had different languages. So that's, I'm setting the stage here. There were many staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd together came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly, they, utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? What's going on? The people were baptized in the Holy Spirit. They flowed out of the upper room, and now they're all speaking in tongues. The, baptized, the Holy Spirit gave them a new language. This particular situation, they gave them a language that other men could understand. Let me go to verse 12. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they have had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. Now, first of all, how does being drunk give you the ability to speak a language you don't know? <laughs> I mean, I know a lot of guys speak in a lot of languages and when they're drunk, but I don't know them. I don't think they, I don't give them any wisdom. So that doesn't make any sense. The second experience of the baptism of the Holy Spirit gave Peter and the disciples the power to preach and speak like they've never before been able to. The power of the Holy Spirit empowered them as a new gift, something that would change the world. Recognize what had happened in the life of Peter over the past few days. Just prior to Peter's crucifixion, he denied Christ three times, right? Peter was a big talker, but he was a chicken. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm saying that in jest. I'm, he, that was a stressful time, I can only imagine. But he didn't have what it took to stay with Jesus. He abandoned him. And so did the other ten. Only John stayed with him. So what happened here in the life of Peter is very important. Because what happened here gave Peter a power that he didn't have before. This Holy Spirit baptism in Peter's life changed him. How did it change him? It gave him the ability to speak a sermon that resulted in 3,000 people being saved and baptized that day. He didn't prepare for it. He wasn't in the upper room for 10 days preparing his message. (laughs) 
he, he, he was in the moment. And the Holy Spirit gave him the utterance, gave him the words to speak. He was 100% inspired by this newfound power of the baptism of the Holy Spirit that he didn't have before. Here's the results of what happened. Acts chapter 2, beginning at verse 37. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. What did they hear? They heard Peter's message. Peter gave a Holy Spirit-led message. When they heard the message, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. That's what he was talking about in Joel chapter 2, that the, the gift of the Holy Spirit is given for all people, including us today. Verse 40, with many other words he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. This is the beginning of the church. This is it. This is the birthday of the church. Jesus said it was going to happen. It happens today. The church begins, and this was the first day of the rest of all the disciples' earthly ministry because of the power of the Holy Spirit was now operating in them, and just like it operated in the life of Jesus. Remember the rock that Jesus was talking about, about this, this church will build, built upon this rock, and the gates of hell will not provide, fail against it? The rock that he's talking about, Jesus is saying right now that it's a combination of Jesus and the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit began the church today on the rock of Jesus. But the Holy Spirit was instrumental in it, and it was the beginning of the church. A new power was available, one that they would need to have to carry out the mission of establishing the church that God had given them. And that same power is available for us today. Listen, guys, there is so much fake in the world today. There is so much fake that we're dealing with that we don't know what's true or not true. The last thing we need is a fake church. The last thing we need is a fake church that just goes through the motions. We need to be a Holy Spirit-led and empowered church. If we're going to survive this world, if we're, going to be, if we're going to be significant in this world, just like the Holy Spirit empowered the disciples, the Holy Spirit needs to empower us today. The church needs the power of the gifts of the Spirit in these last days more than ever. Now, some say that the gifts of the Spirit and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit ended when the Bible was completed, that that was the end of the need for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was only empowering the disciples as they were writing Scripture. As soon as Scripture was fulfilled, the, the, the need of the Holy Spirit evaporated. They didn't need it anymore. That's called cessationism. There's no gifts. There's no baptism. There's no need for the Holy Spirit to work in the lives of people anymore. Because the perfect was completed. The perfect, that they're assuming the perfect means the Bible, but the Bible was indicating when, it, when the perfect happens, it means that we're in heaven. We're with Christ. 
We don't need to speak in tongues because we're with Christ face to face. That's what happens. Then cease, then tongues will cease because we're with Christ face to face. But until that time happens, tongues, interpretations, gifts of the Spirit are, are manifestations of the Holy Spirit. The proof that he's with us is more important now than ever for us. Let me ask you this question. Do we have any record in the Bible that Satan has given up his fight? Do we have any record that says Satan gives up and therefore we don't need God's help anymore because Satan has already given up on us and he's not tempting us anymore? Satan's not fighting against us anymore? Absolutely not. No, in fact, Satan is even more engaged in the battle to destroy the church than he's ever been. So, doesn't it just make sense that the Holy Spirit wouldn't abandon us when we need him the most? If Satan's powerful today, then why isn't the Holy Spirit working for us? Well, the answer is he is. He is working for us. Here, understand this. Satan had no idea the power of the Holy Spirit. He had no idea what was coming on the day of Pentecost. He doesn't understand that. He's not omniscient. He's not omnipotent. He didn't know. So when the Holy Spirit fell on the church, the early church, Satan was spellbound, speechless. Because all of a sudden, people were doing powerful things that Jesus did. And he was surprised. Well, he's not surprised anymore. Can I tell you that? He's very much aware of the power that the Holy Spirit gives to people. And that's why he has created so much fear and so much controversy over the power of the Holy Spirit because he knows that when people are Holy Spirit filled and when they're led by the Spirit, Satan is powerless. And that's why he's bringing so much disruption and disunity in the body because if he can stop people from being filled with the Holy Spirit, he can, he can destroy them and destroy the church. Do we know that? Do we understand that? You see, in the early church, Holy Spirit baptism was the norm. It was the normal thing that happened. And I think we miss that today. We miss the fact that the normal experience of the, Holy, of the early church was to get saved and get baptized. Get saved and get baptized, now, both in water and in the Holy Spirit, and not necessarily in that order. Some got saved and got water baptized. Some got saved and got spirit baptized, and then they got water baptized. The fact of the matter is, though, it was an expectation. It was normal in the day of that time. Here's why. Because Satan wasn't able to defeat it yet. Because Satan didn't know how to comp combat it yet he didn't know how to confuse people yet now he learned quickly because we see it in the in the early church account but when it first happened satan was so taken by surprise he didn't know what to do and people just got saved they got baptized and that was a normal thing to do and i think today people understand salvation and we understand water baptism to a degree some baptize infants some wait to their have a salvation experience then baptize them but you know only Pentecostal churches are the ones that recognize the Holy Spirit baptism as the second experience. Most think that when you get saved, the Holy Spirit lives in you, you're baptized. Let me, there's a partial truth. You're saved, the Holy Spirit lives in you, but you're not baptized yet. 
That's a second experience, just like the disciples had to undergo a second experience, and so we do today as well. It was such a normal occurrence in the early church. That's why Paul had to go in such great detail in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 through 14 to explain how to operate in the gifts because they were used too much. They were used out of order in church services. So Paul had to go in and explain to them how the gifts are used. It was so popular, so normal for them to have the experiences as it with it, that Paul had to explain to them and, and instruct them how to use the, the gifts. People will say they'll use that as to describe why the gifts aren't for today. No, nonsense. Paul was trying to explain to them how the gifts are used so that it's orderly in worship. Go read those chapters. Go read First Corinthians chapter 12 through 14. Read those chapters and hear Paul's instruction to the church. So here's the question. Can you see how the Holy Spirit, how Pentecost changed everything? I hope you see it. I hope I'm making some sense here. That this was a new experience that changed everything about the disciples. It changed everything about the focus of their ministry. It changed the entire focus of the church. Now we have to understand that something as powerful as the baptism of the Holy Spirit can be misused and counterfeited, right? Now the devil has gotten really good at things. He counterfeits what God does. There are, there are languages, there are tongues, if you will, that are not of God, and I think that's something we need to be aware of. We need to understand that this can be counterfeited, but just because it can be counterfeited doesn't discount the reality of the real experience. Here's an example. Do you know that they can counterfeit $20 bills? Does that mean that you don't want any $20 bills in your wallet? How many $20 bills do you want in your wallet? Even though there are counterfeit $20 bills. So people will say, well, the devil can counterfeit the Holy Spirit. Well, so what? We have to discern the spirits. And that's one of the gifts of the spirit is discernment, that we can discern when it's from God and when it's not. Yes, we need to be careful. Yes, they can be misused. But that doesn't discount the reality of the power of them and why we need them. No more than a, 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 a counterfeit $20 bill doesn't discount the value of a true $20 bill. Make sense? So we need to be aware of it. Need to be discerning in it. Jackie, would you come, please? So what I've described here, what does this look like? What does this look like? I want to go back to that question I asked earlier. I have to wonder, what was it like for those in the upper room? They were waiting for something they didn't know what to expect. They were waiting for something they hadn't experienced before. I wonder how impatient some of them were. But yet, something that I do know, they were hungry for more. They were hungry for more. They were told by Jesus that he was going to give them a gift, and they wanted the gift. They were waiting for something special to happen. They really didn't have any idea what to expect, but they were hungry. They weren't going to leave without it. I wonder for us today, 
Are we hungry? Are we hungry for the move of God in our life? What am I waiting on God for? Are you? Or are you happy where you're at? Where are we today in our waiting for God to do something special in our lives? I wonder if we are. You know, Jesus says that in the last days there's going to be a great falling away, a great apostasy. He even says, I wonder if if he will even find faith on the earth when he returns. that's, That's a question for us. Are we expecting him? Are we hungry for him? Are we anticipating him? I think many times we get comfortable in our own way of experiencing God and really aren't interested in more. Can I be very honest with you today? If that's where you're at, you're going to slip backwards. You can't idle very long. You're either hungry and moving forward or you're going to get complacent and fall backwards. So this morning I want to ask the question. Have you accepted the gift of Holy Spirit baptism? Does it operate in your life on a day-to-day basis? Do you want it to? It's a gift. Jesus said, I will baptize those that are hungry. I will baptize those that are hurt, that are thirsty. I will baptize. That's Jesus doing it. So today, if you're hungry, I want to give you the opportunity to, experience, to be spirit-filled. You know, we are so blessed. We have Pastor Rip, Pastor Leland, Holy Spirit-filled pastors. We'd like to pray with you today. I'm going to ask Pastor Rip and Leland just to come up front and stand up front with me. And if you want to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, this is a day for you. If you have another need you need to be prayed for, this is another opportunity to pray for. But we want to take the next few minutes and we want to just ask Jesus to give us the gift that he said he would give us. Pastor Rip, Pastor Leland, am I right? Have I said anything wrong? Are you hungry today? Jackie, lead us in that, and I'm just going to give it up. I'm going to give you an opportunity. If you're hungry, if you want to receive the baptism or any other need, we want to pray with you. This is an old-fashioned altar call. Amen. Lead us, Jackie. Come down forward. If you want to pray, we'd like to pray with you. There's nothing worth more that will ever come close. Nothing can compare your living home. Your presence, Lord. I've tasted and seen of the sweetest of loves where my heart becomes free and my shame is undone in your presence
Hallelujah, Father. Pastor Rip, Leland, if you have anything to add, feel free. Nothing to be ashamed about if you're that person that Pastor Rip was talking about. We all go through it. We all go through a beating. But the Lord is here to restore, to give back. To give back what the locusts have eaten. Hallelujah. Don't leave this place if the Lord's dealing with your heart. If he's dealing with you, if he's if there's that small thing in your soul that's just uncomfortable right now, recognize what that is. Now listen. I know people, and I would rather be around people that are seeking, maybe not found yet, maybe not filled yet, but seeking the power of the Holy Spirit. I've been around people that say, I baptized in the Holy Spirit. I got baptized when I was 12 years old. But maybe they don't walk in the gifts of the Spirit. Maybe they haven't exercised them since they were 12 and they may be 50. I'm not interested in that. This is not a punch the ticket to be part of the club. It's not it. We're here to empower you, to help you, to live a life that is better than what you were before. And as long as you're seeking the power of the Holy Spirit, you're on the right track. You know, I don't know why they didn't get filled in the first day they were in the, on the upper room. Why did it take 10 days? I don't know. Maybe the Lord had to deal some with them. Maybe there were some sin issues in their life. Maybe there were some unbelief issues in their life. Maybe there are some things that were keeping them. I don't know. Not my job to know that. My job is just to encourage us to seek and not give up. And if you seek and don't give up, he will fill. That's the promise that he gives. I've known people, Jim Jensen told me he was filled with the Holy Spirit driving out the church parking lot. All of a sudden he starts singing in the Spirit. And by the way, singing in the Spirit's a good thing. I know another lady from this church that was filled in the Holy Spirit, baptized in the Holy Spirit when she was in her shower. It's nothing magical about being altered. Now, clearly, it's good to have people pray with you and lay on hands. That's powerful. But that's, God's not limited by that. If you're still seeking and haven't filled, been, been filled, don't stop. Don't let the devil tell you that it's not for you. It is for you. It's for all of us. Now, we may not have the gift of tongues and interpretations and all the other gifts, but we all can have a Holy Spirit-led prayer language that prays through us when I don't know how to pray other, uh, any other way. Right, Pastor Rip? Right, Leland? How many times do you pray in the Spirit when you don't know what else to say? There's power there. There's comfort there. There's peace there. That's why Jesus said, peace I give you. He didn't say strife. Strife. He didn't say stress, I give you over this thing. No, he said peace, I give you. The Holy Spirit is a spirit of peace. If there's stress in you about this, it's not of God. If there's stress within you, it's the devil, it's your enemy, it's your flesh man rising up. The peace of the Holy Spirit will fill you. And it will allow you to live a life better than what you lived before. Yeah. Very uh, important, I think, what he said. It really, it really spoke to me that 
the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, is as He is speaking of. He said, "It's not, you know, as He as He did say, it doesn't, you know, make you better than anyone else, and it doesn't." But what I liked what He said uh, when we were talking yesterday is He said, "It makes me the best me that I can be." I, I can't be what God wants me to be without the indwelling and then the power of the Holy Spirit. I just can't. I, I, I can't do it. It's not within me. I, I, there's, you know, there's, there's too much flesh, man. <laughs> With it, you know, I've got to have the power that the Holy Spirit brings to Amen. overshadow that flesh, man. Yes. So that I can be what Jesus wants me to be and me be the best me yeah. that I can be. Amen. And I was telling him, and, and folks, this is, you know, no matter what people want to believe, it's, 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 it, I, I can't explain it other than just say it's God and it's supernatural, it's the Holy Spirit. As a pastor, and I, I'm sure these pastors and, and anyone that's probably even taught in Sunday school or whatever can, can, uh, can, can say the same thing, but I've had some tough weeks before. I mean, some tough weeks. Weeks that were just tough, tough, tough. But yet, when I was pastoring, I still had to step into that pulpit. That was what was expected of me. <laughs> I couldn't call in sick. You know, I, I'm call, call in and say, okay, church, I'm not coming to church today because I just don't feel like it. <laughs> that wasn't <laughs> acceptable, right? What I noticed was, is when I got, and, and I told Pastor this yesterday, I, I'll, I'll tell you, the time that I am at most peace in my life, absolutely the most peace in my life, is when I preach. Is that because I'm up there preaching? No. Most people, that gives people stress when they're standing before people. But it doesn't give me stress. It doesn't, you know what, it, there's a peace. And you know what that is? It's called the Holy Spirit. Amen. <laughs> that peace. Yeah. And Jesus said, I'm going to send you a comforter. Right? I'm going to send you a comforter. I'm going away, but I'm sending you a comforter. I'm at comfort. I'm at peace when I'm under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And that's what we're talking about today. As Patrick said, don't leave here without some form of a desire and a, and a, uh, a desire to, to move forward. Yeah. Okay. Think of it that way. Just moving forward. Look at the scripture. Look at the scripture. There's papers out there with the every scripture you used to study it out for yourself. Amen. If you have questions, call the pastor. Call one of the pastors. Call you know whatever. Get with someone. Discern it for yourself. That's right. I've been in some churches where there's some there 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 was some stuff called the Holy Spirit that wasn't the Holy Spirit going on. (laughs) In my opinion, God help me if I'm wrong, but. You know what I'm saying? There, yeah, yeah. but Amen. I can discern that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we we are not in any way trying to belabor this point or trying to uh, stress it out. We just want you to be very clear of our position and the position of the word and how it is for you. And so, as you go today, be seeking, be hungry, and if you're not hungry, ask the Holy Spirit to give you hunger. You know, the 
one man that prayed and didn't have the answer. He asked Jesus, increase my faith. Increase my faith. That's a good thing. Amen. See, keep seeking and then come tell us when the Holy Spirit fills you. Tell us when. Because he will. Father, we just come to you in Jesus' name. Thank you for this day today. Thank you for the message. Thank you for Pentecost. Thank you for the way it changed life. It changed everything. Thank you, Lord, for that. Lord, we just need you. We need you now more than ever in the end times that we're living in, in our days every day. God, we need you more, and we're going to seek you more, and we're just anticipating that filling and that refilling every day. Every day is a new filling. Every day is a new experience. It's never once and done. It's a new experience every day. So, Father, we just welcome that. We invite you in our hearts and our lives. Go with us now as we go to our homes. Be with us. Empower us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Be blessed. Have a great day. Amen.